Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 44 of our series on the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem uh, during the beginning of Passover week. We're kind of closing in on the, the final week of Jesus' ministry before the cross and the resurrection. So, some good stuff here. The title of this message is When God Disappoints, Dealing with Our Disappointments with God When He Doesn't Fit Our Expectations. So let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. John 12, verse 9, when the great crowd of Judeans discovered that Jesus was there, they came to Bethany, not just because of Jesus, but to see Lazarus the one who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus as well because of many of the Judeans were leaving their side on account of him and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd had come up for the festival, that's uh, Passover, and heard that Jesus had come to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Hosanna, they shouted. Welcome in the name of the Lord. Welcome to Israel's king. Jesus found a little donkey and sat on it. As the Bible says, do not fear, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming now, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand this to begin with, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that he had done them. The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead told their story. That's why the crowd went out to meet him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees conferred. You see, they said to each other, It's impossible. There's nothing you can do. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So this morning, I want to start off by saying, imagine that you had a coma and you were asleep for a very long time and you woke up very disoriented, not knowing where or when (laughs) you were. and then you began to, you, you get back to your neighborhood and you began to look at the houses in your neighborhood and they all had strings of light hanging up and you saw these, these trees and the windows of homes with decorations on them. What would you think it meant? Christmas. How many of y'all are with me? Okay, smart bunch. Uh, say you woke up and, and you saw a lot of these chocolate bunnies and Cadbury cream eggs and baskets, what would you assume then? Easter. Easter. Yeah, I'll, now, we're, now we're waking up in here. Okay, the, the final test to see if you understand the signs of our culture. Say you woke up and you saw uh, a bunch of people uh, running around in, in masks. <laughs> that was a trick one, yeah. <laughs> okay, they were little kids running around with baskets. Okay, uh, Halloween, right, right. Yeah, in Louisiana, that's... I don't know where I am. Um, now, now imagine that you woke up and, and instead of just seeing a tree with decorations on it or lights, you saw a tree and underneath the tree there were chocolate bunnies and chocolate covered eggs. What would you think then? It's mixed up, right? <laughs> Some, somebody either has leftover uh, Easter candy that they're going to put in the stockings or somebody's trying to prove a particular point about something by mixing these two, the, these two symbols together. It's an Easter tree, yes. 
Well, that's what we see going on here in this passage. We see the de deliberately, uh, deliberate mixing of two ideas that, that we don't get because we're modern Americans. But I want to explain to you what's going on. Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen Jesus show up in Jerusalem during many of their festivals. The, the festival of, of he's, he's already shown up during Passover once. He's shown up during the festival of booths. And he's also shown up during the festival of dedication. Now, each one of these festivals... Uh, had all kinds of religious significance. They were actually commanded by God to, to observe these festivals. But Jesus is showing up now during Passover, but he's doing things that actually match another festival, which is called the Festival of Dedication. And so it's as if Jesus is mixing chocolate Easter bunnies and Christmas trees together, and, and it's very provocative. Because there was a certain holiday that you, if you were going to do anything messianic, and messianic, just you know, the word messiah, king of Israel, if you're going to do anything messianic, you would do that during the festival of dedication because that's the holiday that celebrates messianic stuff. But Passover, to do messianic things during a Passover celebration was, was, was mixing two different things together. And it means that, that God's trying to say something. If we go back to uh, John chapter 10, which we covered several months ago. You can go back online and hear it. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 22 says this. Then the time came for the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple, temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Messiah, tell us plainly. Why were they saying that? Because it was the Festival of Dedication. Now, I'm going to tell you the history of the Festival of Dedication. We commonly refer to that, that festival these days as Hanukkah. You ever heard of Hanukkah, right? You ever observed Hanukkah? Anybody in here? Okay. One person. Okay. Uh, Hanukkah, you have menorahs, and, and it's, a, it's a big celebration that people, Jewish people still celebrate today. But it goes back to a time which was about 200 years before this scene that we're reading about today. Uh, Judea was, was dominated by a, a king named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was a, a bad dude. He was a, not a nice king. There's a lot of kings that tolerated the Jewish people and their weird customs and their weird religious things, like the Romans. They let, they let them have their temple and go about their things. But Antiochus Epiphanes, he was just antagonistic to their religion. He actually went into their temple and offered unclean sacrifices to pagan gods. It was just like as bad as you could get, and then made the Jewish people eat pork, which was like breaking their covenant with God, so causing them to break the law. So it got, it, everything got to a boiling point, and this guy Judas Maccabeus led a revolt, and they overthrew the king. And the first thing that Judas Maccabeus did upon uh, overthrowing the bad guy was he came into Jerusalem and led a triumphal procession. That's what they called it. That sounds familiar, right? He led this triumphal procession into Jerusalem. And the first thing that he did, and, and actually probably when he was doing that, people probably said the th same things that they were saying about Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. God has heard our prayers and sent the Messiah. Because they thought that at that time that this guy must be the Messiah. Now let's, let's, let's pause for one second because oftentimes when we hear that, that name Messiah as Christians... We, we automatically ascribe deity to it, like Jesus, uh, Messiah, he, like Messiah must mean God. 
reality is back at that time, the Jewish people weren't expecting God to show up as the Messiah. They just expected somebody like Moses who would, who would be a deliverer uh, that, that would reestablish, you know, kick out the bad guys and reestablish Jews under their own rule. So here comes Judas Maccabeus, and, and he, he goes into the city, and they welcome him as the Messiah. And the first thing he does is he goes to the temple, and he cleanses the temple. He offers the appropriate sacrifices. They dedicate uh, their lives to God. And so the festival that they observed every year after that was called the Festival of Dedication. Now, Judas Maccabeus, he actually set up the Maccabean dynasty. You may have a Bible that has the apocryphal works in it, and you've got books called First and Second Maccabees, I believe. And they tell the story about the Maccabean people. And so the Maccabeans, were the, their dynasty lasted for about 100 years. So it was the first time in, in hundreds of years that the Jewish people actually had self-rule. And so every time the festival of dedication would come around, it would rekindle their hope for when is God going to send the Messiah? When is he going to kick out the Romans? When are we going to be restored to self-rule again? The glory days, like under David and Solomon. And so when Jesus shows up during the festival of dedication, they're like, hey, are you the Messiah? If you are, why don't you just come out and plainly tell us? This is the time when you would do that. It's, hello, it's Hanukkah. That's, that's what we do. And Jesus has already kind of told him that he's the Messiah. But as I said several months ago when we covered this passage, that Jesus' ministry has a Passover shape to it. It's all about Passover. And so even when people are trying to get him to do the messianic thing, he doesn't do it during the, the right time. He doesn't set up a Christmas tree during Christmas. You know, <laughs> He waits till Easter to set up a Christmas tree. He mixes the metaphors. So that's what we see going on in this picture. Jesus is saying, we, we, we see that Jesus is, is, is actually saying, yes, I am the king. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's here to deliver Israel. But, but let me... Please understand that I'm a different kind of king than Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus was a violent man who overthrew the government at the end of a sword and established a revolt. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm coming to overthrow things, but I'm not overthrowing things with violence. I'm not overthrowing things at the end of the sword. I'm not overthrowing things with coercion or, or trying to control people or dominate people. I'm coming by laying my life down. I'm coming in the spirit of love, humility. I'm bringing a peace that, 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 that's bigger than the peace that Rome brought. Because I'm a different king. I'm a greater king than Caesar. Greater king than Alexander. But my kingdom is going to look completely different than what you think. Because actually this Messiah is going to look more like a lamb than a lion. The, the Passover lamb. So Jesus comes in during Passover, and the rest of the book of John, we're, we're 12 chapters into it, we've got a few more chapters to go, we're, we're a little bit more than halfway done, but the rest of the Gospel of John is going to cover the next uh, week of Jesus' life. So we're going to spend, what, another year covering, no, I'm not. <laughs> at the rate we're going, uh, we're, the rest of it is just this final week of Jesus' life, now, uh, before the resurrection. So, Jesus comes in and he's, 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 he's mixing the metaphors of these two things. He's saying he is the Messiah. His kingdom will not come at the end of a sword. But he, he's the king of a greater kingdom. And he's come to face a greater enemy than Rome. He's actually come to liberate mankind from the clusters of the sinful systems that have held them all this time. He's come... To bring freedom from the captivity to sin. 
Now, when I put myself in the shoes of the disciples, I think what have, uh, how, how amazing it must have felt to them. If we go back to when Peter was called to follow Jesus, he's just a humble fisherman, right? And Jesus comes up and says, Peter, we're going to catch people instead of fish. I want you to follow me. Leave your fishing business. So it said Peter just dropped his nets and follows after Jesus. And so for the, for the three years leading up to this point, Peter has been following Jesus around, but they've mainly been doing all their ministry around the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee um, in, in, in little, little fishing villages. And Jesus has got quite a following. But now, imagine what it would have been like to, like you've had this small little ministry going around, then all of a sudden you've gone to Jerusalem, the epicenter of religion, the epicenter of power, the like, center of, you know, the crossroads of the world right now. And now this thing looks like it's going to take over. People are starting to lay palm branches down, lay their cloaks down. They're welcoming Jesus as king. And I just know the way Peter is, okay, from looking at Peter. I know what Peter's thinking. Any day now, we're going to be in the palace. I'm going to be sitting next to Jesus. We're going to have servants. This thing's, we're, we're going to take over. That's the way Peter is. He's just like you and me, right? <laughs> and Jesus kind of reigns on their parade. Because at the moment where everything's like exciting and this thing is going global and we're going to take over the world, Jesus starts talking like this. Jesus says in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. What? Come on, Jesus. Like, can't we enjoy, like, the praise of all these people? And, like, what? can't we just... Why all this talk about dying and losing your life? It's kind of like what Jesus had done at the beginning of this chapter. His, his feet are getting anointed by Mary, and everybody's making a scene like, oh, my gosh, she just wasted all this perfume. She's like, like, think of what it could buy. And Jesus said, no, it's okay. This is a good thing she's doing. She's anointing me for burial. What you talking about, Jesus? Anointing you for burial. See, People don't get what Jesus is doing. He keeps saying things, and they're, I know they keep thinking, like, even when he's saying a seed going into the ground, and oh, he's doing one of those parable things again, right? He's just kind of speaking figuratively. He's, he's just talking, you know, mystical Jesus sayings, right? And Jesus is saying, no, like, I, I'm, I'm actually here to die. <laughs> what we see with the disciples is that here, here Jesus is on this day. He's being welcomed into Jerusalem as a king. By Friday of that week, they're going to say crucify him. And Jesus is going to uh, face a, a torturous, brutal, public execution at the hands of the Romans who were better than anybody in the history of the world at executing people in a horrible way. And imagine if you'd been one of the disciples, being with Jesus all those three years. It's finally taken off, and then the week ends like that. And this gets at where I want to talk about today. The title of this message is, When God Disappoints Us. I don't hear any 
very many messages on God disappoints us. It almost sounds like a bad thing to say. Like, really? But I guarantee you, if you follow God, you're going to get disappointed. You are going to get let down. You know, when I first became a Christian, uh, there, there was a saying, I think they probably say it still, and, and I believe it, okay? It's just a little bit different than what I used to hear. God is good. What do you say? All the time. God is good. Okay. Let's try it again. God is good. All the time. Okay. We have a church up in here. <laughs> we do serve coffee. Um. <laughs> you might try it. It's free. It's free. <laughs> Well, I believe that statement to be true. The problem is when the, the first groups of Christians that I was around, the goodness of God looked like this. If you follow Jesus, your, your, your life is just going to get better. It's going to get easier. You know, like you're going to get richer. You're, you're just going to be healthier, wealthier. Like people are going to like you. Uh, it's just great. Like no problem. But the problem is like that works until it doesn't. Right? inevitably, you're going to have a day where you don't have enough money to pay the bills. You're going to get sick. People aren't going to like you. You're not going to get that job promotion. It, you know, it's just, it, and then if you've attached your whole faith to that idea of God, guess what? Your spirituality just goes on this roller coaster. When I'm doing good, when I'm paying the bills, when my, my kids are obeying me, <laughs> when my wife is, is being nice to me, yes, God loves me. Well, when my kids talk back, um, the, I'm coming up short on the money. <laughs> my wife talks back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife and kids gang up on me. Uh, you know, where is God? I thought he was good all the time. There must be something wrong with me. And I tell you that the, the kind of spirituality I had for years was, was, was that idea. And, and, and so... When it came to, to the life of faith, faith was, was this kind of thing where it's like almost like a pep rally. Like you got to pump your faith up. You know, I remember when I used to, like the like churches I used to be at, that, that um, when it came time to pray for people, it's like you, you have a pep rally, right? You, know, you get the music cranking. Holy Spirit, we're going to, you know, have a good time. And, and I remember times praying for people. Um, there was one guy when I was in college ministry who was a, he was a handicapped guy. He was in a wheelchair. And we prayed for him for like four hours. The poor guy had to put up with our prayers for four hours. And, and, you know, we were just believing. We were confessing. We were speaking to his legs. We were doing everything we knew how to do to get this guy. And, and, and he didn't stand up. He didn't stand up. Now, a lot of times I hear people say, when it comes to the life of faith, I am believing God for this. You ever said that before? I've said it before. I'm believing God for this raise. I'm believing God for healing here. I'm believing God for this woman. <laughs> oh, come on. Single guys. <laughs> I'm believing God for a husband. 
I'm believing for, for this. I, I, I see it. I, 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 I envision it. I'm believing God for it. The only problem is that, that this, this particular way of, of dealing with faith, you can believe God for something. You can even believe in right doctrine, right ideas about God. But that's different than believing in God. Right? I mean, you can apply that to any relationship. I can, I can believe my wife for stuff, or I can believe in her. You know? Like, I can think right thoughts about my li- wife. <laughs> I can believe that, that, that I'd like her to give me certain things that, that she could give me. Or I could believe in her as a person. See, if we attach our faith in God to our expectations, it's just going to be a roller coaster, you know, all the time. Because in my life, I, I can tell you, I believe God shows up and heals people. I believe God does. I've, I've experienced God's healing in my life. I've prayed for people that have been healed. I believe that. We do that. I've seen financial miracles. I mean, the last few years of my life, I've seen God come through in like ways that I could never imagine financially. I've seen him do that for other people. I've seen, I've seen God heal marriages, put people back together. I've seen God set people free. But I've also seen very close friends of mine who, who had cancer and died from it, even though they loved God with all their hearts and were praying and, and, and asking God to heal them. I've seen marriages fall apart, even when, when people loved God and were trying to get it working. I've seen people who didn't get the raise, who had to declare bankruptcy, whose houses had to go into foreclosure. I've seen that happen. What are you going to do when God disappoints you? What are you going to do when this king that you put your trust in, all of a sudden he gets crucified? (laughs) What are you going to do? I think one of the things that, that, that I've found that helps me probably more than anything is the prayer of Jesus the night before he goes to get crucified. The way the story is recorded is that, that Jesus actually sweat blood. Now this is a, if you look up this condition of sweating blood, I mean it's very rare. And it only happens if you're under extreme duress where you, you've got such high blood pressure, such high, you know, you're so stressed out and anxious that your capillaries and your skin are beginning to break open and, and seep into your sweat glands and it comes out like blood. Now, according to certain traditions of, you know, of faith in America, Jesus, he didn't have any faith. <laughs> like, why are you so anxious? Because Jesus, that, that is, a, that is a, a condition that happens when you're extremely uh, under duress. Like, you are wrestling with something. Like, I don't know if I... And Jesus says, God... Is there any other way than going to the cross? Any other way? There's such a picture right there of the humanity of Jesus. He knows what's coming. He knows that time the next day he's going to be dead in a very brutal, violent, horrible, torturous way. And he's struggling with it to the point where he's sweating blood. And this is where I want to talk about faith. Because under modern American prosperity gospel stuff, oh, Jesus doesn't have any faith. 
Zacchaeus doesn't have faith. He's, he's, he's just, he's, he's got too many doubts in his heart right now. No. What I found in my journey is that probably a better definition of faith is trust. Trust. Because what does Jesus say? Look, I'm struggling with this. Never, nevertheless, not what I want, Father, but what you want. I'm going to entrust my life to you. I know that things are getting, it, it, it's going to get really bad tomorrow. But I'm going to trust you that you will get me through this and that you will vindicate me on the other side. I trust that even though they kill me, you are going to raise me back to life. I trust it. See, that's faith. That's not a faith in what God can, you know, in, in, in our expectations. That's a faith in God. I trust you. I trust you. I let go of, of my own expectations of, of how this has to all work out. And I trust you. You know, when I first um, decided to step out and plant this church, uh, I had all kinds of friends in ministry who'd planted churches, and they told me stories about, yeah, when I got called to plant a church, I, uh, you know, in this other place, we put our house on the market, and it was sold within a week. I'm like, hot dog, that's what I want. God, sell my house in a week. We put our house on the market, and by that Sunday, we got our first offer, um, a, a verbal offer. That was rescinded later on. It turns out really that it was the only offer we've ever had on the place. <laughs> we didn't sell it. We didn't sell it in one month, two months, eight months. It's still on the market. Uh, if anybody wants a condo in Kenner, I'll make you a good, I'm, I'm ready to wheel and deal. Uh, but it got to when we're, here we are, like we put it on the market like nine months before we were ready to, to to start our weekend services here and it's getting to we're going to start our services in january and and it's getting to december and and we still we just don't have a place over here we got no hope of getting a place over here and i'm like god where are you i thought you called me to plant a church like how it's not fair to have to pastor a church where i can't even live you know like i was i was out like applying at starbucks any place like i was like maybe i can get a Enough money to get an efficiency apartment so we can at least camp out up here with a family. God has this habit of, of answering my prayers in ways that, that I don't see coming. And many times, and, and I want to say this, for all the dis disappointment the disciples experienced on Friday, they were blown away with where things went on Sunday. <laughs> like, they didn't see that coming either, right? <laughs> They didn't see like that Jesus was, was going to die horribly, but that he'd actually be raised from the dead. And he'd tell them, like, hey, well, the same thing is going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you, too. You're going to be raised from the dead after you die. Wow. Okay. That's pretty hot. <laughs> what is it, the old uh, Garth Brooks song, uh, Thank the Lord for Unanswered Prayers? You know, when I look back over my... 20 years of following Jesus, there's some things that I wanted and I prayed for and I named it, I claimed it, I confessed it. I, I, I thank God he didn't answer it. <laughs> I thank God he didn't give me what I wanted on many occasions. You know, Jesus said, ask your father for good things. He's a good father and he wants to bless you. I believe that. 
you know, I'm, I'm not just, there, there are certain Christians who say, ah, you know, it doesn't matter what you do because God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. It's just, you know, so I don't believe that. I believe God wants us to ask him for stuff. I, want to, I think he wants to hear from his children. Same way I want to hear from my children. But I tell you, I don't answer everything that my kids want. If I did, they'd be eating donuts like all the time. Uh, you know, it'd just be a mess. It'd be, it'd be bad. They'd turn out to be bad kids. I mean, they would. I love them enough to not give them everything they ask for. God does the same with us. He doesn't give us everything we ask for. And sometimes, you know, when it comes down to, to little things in our life, it's not a big deal. Other times when it's somebody dying of cancer or financial disaster in your life, that's harder to swallow. But at the end of the day, we have to respond like Jesus. God, even though I don't understand this, I don't get what's going on. I know you're a loving God, and I know, you, 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 I know you've got my back. I know my life is in your hands. And so I trust you. I take my hands off. I let go. Even though it looks bad, even though I look foolish and weak, and even though people are saying, like, what did they say to David? Uh, what was it? Uh, Psalm 42, you know, my, my enemies say, where are you, God? Where's your God at? I thought you were buddies with God. Looks like your life's a mess, David. People will say that to you sometimes. If, if, if you serve God, then where is he? You're, <laughs> this is what following God's like. I'll pass. Not my will, but your will. God has a, a habit of not meeting our expectations and a habit of exceeding our expectations. Anybody ever heard of a, a, a movie or a book called The Secret? The Secret? Okay, Floyd has. There's a lot of churches out there that, that believe it. Kind of remind me of The Secret. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you the secret today. The secret of happiness. Who wants the secret of happiness? I, I, I kind of don't want to let you know because I know if I, if I give you the secret of happiness now, you'll be like, why do I have to come back next week? But <laughs> I'm going to give you the secret of happiness. And I'm just going to trust that even when you're happy, you'll still come back, okay? It's okay to have happy people in church. Uh, Paul writes this in Philippians 4. Keep in mind, he's in a Roman prison on death row, okay? Like, he's not up in some seminary living the good life. He's in death row, Roman prison, bad place. And he says, I've learned, uh, Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I've learned the secret to happiness, and it, it, and it transcends your circumstances. It transcends any kind of context you can be in. You can be happy whether things are working out in your marriage, or whether you got all the bills paid, or, 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 or whether you got that promotion. Or you can be happy regardless of how good or how bad things are. It's I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus said, God, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. Nevertheless, my will but your will. He's saying, God, I trust you. That even though this, this I know it's going to be bad, you're going to get me through this. That even this. See, that's what Paul had. I want some of that stuff. That I could be in jail on death row, and be like, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. 
And Paul, you know, I mean, he, he has a small list right here. It's a bigger list than other places. You know, Paul says, you know, I know what it's like to be hungry and go and eat. Paul could have gone on and said, I know what it's like to be snake bitten and have people throw rocks at you until you die and <laughs> to be shipwrecked, to be run out of town as, as a sorcerer. Like, I know what it's like to, to face all those things. And yet, I've found the secret of happiness. I can do anything. I can go through anything through Jesus, who gives me strength. Is our faith in God, or is it in our own expectations of God? Is our faith in God, or in our own expectations of God? Because if your faith is in your expectations of God, imagine if Paul had his faith in his expectations of God. Oh my gosh, he's in prison. (laughs) Is this how you treat your friends, Jesus? Is our faith in God or in our expectations of God? We still ask God for things we want, but we praise Jesus. Not my will, but your will, God. Not my way. Please help me to, to know you in the midst of this. When I look over my journey the last 20 years, I realize every time things have been going good, I don't change. Anybody like me? Like, man, when all the bills are paid, the kids are obedient, the wife's loving me, uh, no car troubles, man... I'm just regular old Crispin. Regular old selfish, self-centered Crispin. But when I get thrown into relational turmoil or financial uh, hard spots, that's when I dig into my relationship with Jesus. And that's where I, when I, I start to learn what Paul's talking about here, that, that I can go through anything through Christ who gives me strength. And when I get through that stuff, guess what? I'm a different person. I'm a different person. Man, when we first got married, me and Dina, oh my goodness. I was like, there's no chance in hell that this thing's going to work. I, and I was only a few weeks into it. Like, <laughs> there's like this, this, this is crazy. What was I thinking? And yet, when I stopped trying to get, when I stopped getting mad at God because of my marriage wasn't the way I wanted it, when I stopped t- trying to change Dina and just said, God, I trust you. Not my will, but your will. I take my hands off. You show me what you want to show me. Guess what? God, I, at that point, I started realizing, like, he had a few things to change in there. Like, I wasn't quite as loving as I thought. <laughs> like, yeah, we got some stuff to work with. It's okay. Faith. Is trust. It's trusting in God. It's taking our hands off. God, this is what I want, but at the end of the day, I trust you. I trust you that you have my best in mind. I want to invite Zach and Faith up here. We're going to close today uh, by, by singing a song we sang in the uh, earlier part of worship. I will trust you. Why don't you stand? This morning as we sing the song, I want you to bring your disappointments before the Lord. And be honest here. I mean, really. I mean, I know if you read the Psalms, you hear you read a guy that's disappointed with God a lot. Okay? So but think of the places in your life where God didn't meet meet things the way you expected them to. Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids, your co-workers, and it's just tearing you up. And it hasn't changed, no matter how much you've prayed and quoted scriptures and believed God. It's, it's, it's just gotten worse. 
want you to bring that before the Lord today and say, God, I, I, I trust you with this. I trust you with this. If this never changes, if I die from this disease, if my finances never get better, if my wife never reconciles with me, then I will still trust you. I'll still let go and trust that my life is in your hands. Now, maybe this morning you're not going through anything major like, you know, that's tearing you up. But you know somebody that is. We all know somebody that is. I want you to worship in this song from from that person's point of view. Think of them. Lift them up to the Lord and say, Lord, I just pray that you, you help them to let go and trust you in this. Let's bring those things to the Lord right now. In my weakness Would you Thank you. 